Welcome to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. Shep will talk with some of the smartest thinkers in business to help make you more successful in your professional and personal life. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. Hello, everybody. Shep Hyken here. It's time for another episode of Amazing Business Radio. And do we have an amazing show today? In just a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Sam Stern, who is a principal analyst in Forrester's customer experience research practice. He has an amazing message that he's going to share and lots of information to back it up. Uh, He's going to be talking about uh, why it's a bad idea to pay employees for delivering good customer service and uh, delivering a good customer experience. And I'm thinking, wow. Uh, and and I, by the way, I saw this title at an event that he and I both spoke at just about a month and a half, two months ago, if that. And I thought, what is this guy going to talk about? Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. And he went and did this amazing speech. And I said, I've got to get this guy on amazing business radio. So with that in mind, before we get into it, I wanted to share um, some content that I had written a while back about what it takes to deliver good customer service and a good customer focus mindset encompasses all the how-to training, positive attitudes, which is where the mindset comes from, and understanding uh, behind the reason for the effort to deliver that customer experience. And by the way, some of this happens in the hiring process. You want to hire people that have the customer focused mindset or you know have the aptitude to take it on. So with that in mind, let me share with you five quick little thoughts that I had written down about uh, what it takes to get to that customer-focused mindset. First is the desire to take care of people. Not every employee has that mindset coming in. And even after basic customer service training, they still may not get it. And they may understand techniques on how to deliver service, but they don't get the Essex. Uh, I'm sorry, the essence. A customer-focused mindset includes the desire to serve. So I believe that this is part of the training, and part of the hiring, excuse me, where you are taking a look at this, this behavior, this attitude, this personality, and does it fit with your culture and how you want to take care of customers? Number two, and this is a really cool thing to teach people, is to be in the moment. That is, you're realizing when you're actually delivering a positive service experience. So there's parts of delivering the service that's natural and automatic. However, I want to teach people to be conscious of what they're doing and always looking for ways to make it better. I'll give you an example. I ask uh, my clients or ask my audiences when I'm speaking, hey, would you write down, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do this, write down just real quickly one or two sentences about a time that you recently delivered a great customer service experience, either to an outside customer or an internal customer. And I'm going to say, ready, set, go. you got 30 seconds. And then I say, by the way, if you start to write down even the first sentence, you can stop. You've gone far enough. I just want to know that you are able to write down at least one thing that you can think of that, you know, you were making a positive impact to a customer. And then after 30 seconds, I go, stop. Um, Put your pencils down. Who has not written anything down yet? And I'm amazed at the number of people that raise their hands. And I said, people, all I'm asking you to do is think of a time that you were nice to a customer or an internal colleague, uh, an internal customer. That's it. When were you recently nice? And they all laugh. I said, you see that? There's brain pain associated with going back and thinking, when did I deliver a good customer experience? But you do this every day, all day, and you just 
don't recognize that you're doing it all the time. And I think that's the key. You've got to be in the moment. You've got to be recognizing it. Number three is to know where the line in the sand is. And this is an environment that fosters a, a customer-focused mindset that empowers people to do what's necessary to take care of the customer without crossing the line. So there's boundaries where you've gone too far. Teach your people how far they can go. And you do that by encouraging them to get creative. And when they do something a little different, bring it back to you as a leader and let them explain to you what you did. And when they did it right, congratulate them and share it with everybody. So everybody now knows how far they can go. And if they didn't do it right, we'll show them what they need to do to do it right next time and make it a great learning opportunity. And speaking of learning, that's number four, always learning. The best of the best are continuous learners and not just about their own products and services. These are people I'm talking about, the individuals. They learn about their competition, what's the latest and greatest going on in the industry, and general knowledge about many different things. They're interesting people to talk with and understand how to talk to customers the right way. The best people that are customer-focused are constantly learning and making themselves better. And finally, the best people will recognize they have an awesome responsibility. At any given time, one employee, the one who your customer is interacting with has the responsibility to deliver an experience that is in alignment with your vision. And this one person represents your brand, uh, all of his or her fellow employees. And the big question is, does he or she deliver? That's an awesome responsibility. One person represents all of us. All right. So those are five ways that uh, customer-focused mindsets uh, are. That's the way they think. The people think. That's the way the companies want them to think. Um, Listen to this again. It's a good list. And we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we are going to have an amazing interview with Sam Stern from Forrester. This is Shep Hyken on Amazing Business Radio. Don't go away. Good customer service is now an expectation. Don't provide it and you'll be disrupted by a competitor who does. So, what can you do to stand out? Well, that's the focus of my latest book, The Convenience Revolution, how to create a customer service experience that disrupts the competition and creates fierce loyalty. The goal is to reduce friction and be convenient for your customers. So, if you're ready to take your customer service to the next level and disrupt your competitors, well, this is the book for you. To order the book, go to www.beconvenient.com. That's beconvenient.com. It's time for you to join the revolution, the convenience revolution. This is Amazing Business Radio with Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio, and I promised you an amazing interview, and that's what's going to happen today. We have Sam Stern, who is a principal analyst at Forrester. Many of people know who Forrester is. Uh, He is a customer experience research expert over there. That's the area he works in, and his topics include uh, the customer-centric culture, employee engagement, and in delivering better customer experiences, and how to deploy a different research technique to create better experiences, which is an interesting thing. We're going to be talking about some of his research that is a little bit contradictory to what many of us know. By the way, Sam also has a great show called the CX Cast. And it's Forrester's weekly customer experience podcast. So if you haven't uh, jumped in on that one, you ought to check it out, the CX Cast. So, Sam, welcome to Amazing Business Radio. Hey, thanks, Shep. Great to be with you and great to be with all of your listeners. Well, thank you. And this is kind of a mini reunion from just about a month or so ago (laughs) where you and I met. Uh, We met in Los Angeles, and we were both working for the same client. You did an amazing 
presentation, and that's what this show is really going to be about today, is that presentation, because basically you said that uh, paying employees for delivering good customer experience is a bad idea. Yes, that's right. And um, Shep, it was great to see you in action. I had never, it was my first time getting to see you speak, and I'd heard great things from Thank some you. of my colleagues who had, and uh, it did not disappoint. Uh, I'm sure many of your listeners have had the pleasure themselves. But um, yeah, my colleague, uh, Maxie Schmidt, and I uh, we had worked on this research on why paying employees for delivering good customer experience is a bad idea. We've been sort of, um, we've been thinking about this and, and doing research on this for probably the better part of two years uh, before we really got into the writing of it. And, and in part because where the research that we were doing was leading us and the conversations that Max and I kept having were leading us was, I think we're going to have to make a big sort of almost smack people in the face type of call here, which is you've got to stop the incentives, the monetary incentives for customer experience outcomes, because it's leading down some really dark paths that are distorting the experiences that your employees are delivering and are distracting your employees from focusing on improving their experience delivery and, and, and instead getting them really focusing on what result am I going to get on the survey that I know my company is sending to this customer after this interaction. Right. So I just want to make a real clear point here. When you say stop paying, you don't mean stop paying for work. You mean stop giving incentives. And you did use the word incentive a minute ago, but I just want to – everybody should get paid for the job that they're doing, and they should be paid well, I might add. But, uh, you know, we're, what, right. what we're talking about is the incentive. And, by the way, I love a quote, and I want you to share this with the audience here. You said somebody in the audience, after listening to your presentation, came up to you and said, oh, my, everything yeah. you said that was a myth – that I, be, I believe to be true, and that's my manager's, something like that. What did he say exactly? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Maxie and I, in the, in the report, we lay out these five myths that sort of explain why people keep reaching for monetary uh, customer experience incentives when they seem to not work uh, over and over again, but they, they people believe in these myths. And he came up to us, this gentleman, and after the, the, I talked, and he said, oh, my God, he said, those five myths that you laid out, I, I get it, I believe it, but that's been my management philosophy, my management strategy <laughs> at my at my company. This is what I've been working off of. Uh, so really, uh, you know, he did, it was sort of a smack in his face, you know, really sort of maybe a jolt of fresh water woke him up there. Um, and, and to your point, absolutely, we don't, we are not arguing you shouldn't pay employees. Um, and in fact, one of the things we recommend is that when you're doing away with monetary CX incentives to sort of push back against the, the risk, the very real risk of loss aversion on the part of employees of, hey, you're taking something away from me. Now I'm completely distracted by any anything else we might talk about because I'm worried about the money I'm losing, that we, we recommend that you, you really try to net out the employees. Say, we're moving this, this money, this um, variable incentive into your base pay, at least to start, because we don't want them distracted from, we want to focus you on delivering great customer experience as part of your job, which is why we pay you a salary to do that. That is part of what we expect of you, not some extra thing that we need to incent you to do with a, with a variable incentive. So basically, I'm going to sum it up by saying this. It's like, we pay you, we hired you because you're good. We didn't hire you to be mediocre and then give you a bonus because you feel like being good that day. <laughs> I love that. Yes. 
<laughs> so I think that's a way of putting it. So why I, I give us an example of what some of these incentives might be. And then I, I want to get into the myths in a little while. So don't let's not go into the five myths right now. But an example of an incentive, how, how give me one yeah. that's wrong in your mind. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So um, I think one of the ones that most listeners will have experienced um, and, and probably the number one industry that comes to mind when you think about monetary uh, customer experience incentives would be the automotive industry. Um, and dealers in particular are guilty of this where they, and so the incentive they're getting is on the, on the feedback score, say something like net promoter score, they will have a target for a certain net promoter score. So they have to get, let's say 50, just to give a nice round number. And they know the math on, and they know how they're doing usually throughout the month. And so they are being very careful with customers about explaining to them the importance of getting a nine or 10 on the feedback survey that they will get. That's the distortion of the behavior. So instead of the uh, employee at the dealership focusing on finding the right car for my needs, you know, service, serving my needs and the customer in front of him, he's worrying about the survey that I'm going to be filling out later. And almost I've never really interacted with an employee at an auto dealership where they haven't uh, explained to me what score they need me to give them so that they will be okay. Right. And that's, that's the type of thing that I think, number one, it's a, it, it takes the employee and the customer out of the experience in the moment because now we're talking about a future thing that the customer is going to fill out. Number two, as the customer, I worry about giving real honest feedback to this company. I don't want to punish this person necessarily, even if something wasn't right in the experience. Um, and so you don't actually, as a company, get the you know rich, detailed, honest feedback from customers you might otherwise get. And the employee that entire time has been worried about the survey I'm going to give them rather than paying attention to my needs and really trying to listen to me and thinking about what other uh, ways they can answer my questions, provide a solution to me. And so it's distracting to them. You know, um, it's, and, and this is what I'm thinking about right now. Two things that are coming to my mind based on my experience with my dealership, who, by the way, I love – and uh, I recently had an issue where I thought something was under warranty, and it wasn't. And there's a whole story behind that. I mean, I bought the extended warranty. The guy selling it to me said, this is just like an extension of your new core warranty. Well, apparently it wasn't, and there was about a $200 charge. And, and you know what? The guy handled it really well. Um, I would say that. But this is what he said at the end of taking care of it. And by the way, I was happy with the result. He said, right. can you do me a favor and make sure that when you get my survey, you give me a 10 on this? It's like, you know, really? Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, you know, I'm very, uh, by the way, the average person would say, hey, sure, man, thanks for taking care of me. And by the way, yeah. I, I, I did give him a 10. He, he, he really did try, and he, he went to bat for me. But he didn't have to ask for it. And maybe there was a better way he could have asked for it. But it was obvious because every time – I do business with them. They remind me that I need to give them a good score. And you know what? How yeah, could it be a Shep, bad score <laughs> with the way they I, take care of me? Right. I love that example because exactly to your point, you had a good experience. They, they, did, you know, they did the right thing for a loyal customer there and overlooked a policy. I love those types of examples, right? We, we, we can, if we're smart and we trust our people to use their judgment, they will figure out when it's someone who is a good customer and the $200 is, is a terrible, you know, uh, revenue for them to get because it might make you take your business elsewhere next time. So they do the right thing. 
And now they have cheapened that. They did the right thing for the right reasons. They know how to treat a loyal customer. And suddenly they're saying, but give me something back, this survey. Yep. And in fact, um, it was Medallia, one of the customer feedback management mm-hmm. vendors who told us, shared a story with us, that they heard from one of their automotive clients that now customers are getting savvy to this, the importance of these survey results to dealers' bonuses. And they are seeing evidence, this automotive company, that uh, customers are starting to use as a negotiating ploy when they're buying a new car the offer of a good survey score. So, hey, dealer employee, I'll give you the 9 or 10 I know you need, but you need to give me an extra couple hundred dollars off. And, and I think, you know, it's just a classic example of the distortions, the levels, the layers of distortion we can get to where now customers know this is uh, motivating, you know, crazy behavior on part of dealer employees and using that against them in the negotiation. Wow. That's amazing. The other thing I wanted to share with you is how many times do I get the same long, very long survey yeah. from my auto dealership? Again, I love those guys, and I filled it out meticulously the first time. And when I received it the second time, I thought it would be a different one, but it wasn't. So I didn't take the time to fill yeah. it out because I knew it was going to take I, – I they call it survey fatigue. That's exactly what yeah. I was experiencing with survey fatigue. And, and, again, I know that's not really what we're talking about today, but I think that uh, it still ties in. I'm going to get to a point where I'm so disappointed with the survey, I'm going to start giving bad scores because it's taken so long. And I'm thinking, if, and I know that if I answer the question one way, I'm going to go down a different tree. So I'm saying, what? How can I answer this so I yeah. won't get asked that extra question or right, five right. extra questions? So. Right. No, I love that example. And, and the other thing I'll say is, um, you know, if you think about you know, the I, the concept from um, from Daniel Kahneman of the the peak end rule, right, where the way we remember an experience is is guided um, to a large degree by the peak moment of good or bad in the experience and how the experience ends. A long drawn out survey like that with all of those repeat questions that you were just describing, and I think we've all probably experienced that at certain points, that's the new end of the experience. So you've now appended, you know, Chef, I think that great example where they, they did the right thing for you, but then they had the conversation with you about, please give me a 10, that's the new end of the experience. Then they send you this long survey with too many questions, that's the new end of the experience. This is, this is uh, overwhelmingly... Um, dictating how you remember the experience because that's how the experience ended the long drawn out survey so it it is degrading the overall experience quality because it's going to be most salient in your memory of that experience wow i that's amazing i believe you've just given me incentive to write a short article on the (laughs) new end experience and is that a a phrase you came up with because i got to give credit where credit is due no, no, I, um, I definitely am standing on the shoulders of giants here. Daniel Kahneman, oh, in, oh, Daniel in, uh, Kahneman. In, yep. in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow, uh, laid out a lot of this research. Right. Uh, I'm going to make, make a note of that. Thinking Fast and Slow. So something I need to pick up because I haven't read that book. And, uh, it, uh, it is, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's long and dense, but it is, it, it's a wonderful, wonderful read. Perfect. Hey, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get into the five myths as to why paying employees for delivering a good customer experience is just a bad idea. We're talking with Sam Stern, who is an analyst at Forrester. We'll be right back. Don't go away. If you like what you're hearing on Amazing Business Radio, and I know you do, then you can get much more of this information 
All you have to do is go to my website, hyken.com. That's www.hyken.com. Fill out the subscribe to the shepherd letter form. And each week you will get an article that contains a business tip, stories, much more, all about customer service and experience delivered straight to your inbox. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to always be amazing. You're listening to Amazing Business Radio with best-selling author and customer service and business expert, Shep Hyken. We're back on Amazing Business Radio talking with Sam Stern, Principal Analyst at Forrester and the Customer Experience Research Area. Man, I love that. I mean, you know what, Sam, before we get into the five myths, I want to tell you, I get emailed and pitched all the time to write stories or have somebody on as a guest uh, on the show here. And um, Forrester is one of my, I, I get a lot of your reports. I keep saying, when are you going to do a report on the new topic that I've been writing about, which is total convenience. Now, I think you guys, you're now, uh, CEB is part of your group. Is that right? Uh, no, they're uh, with Gartner, okay. our competitor. Excuse me. Pardon me. No I, problem. No problem. <laughs> wrong. You are incorrect, Shep. <laughs> okay, that's all right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't. they came out with that effortless, uh, you know, uh, I guess, yep. report. However, it's about, that's about the back end of service. That's about when there's problems and just make it easy for the customer. I wonder if there's any experience uh, report at all about the concept of just being easy to do business with at all areas. Where, you know, I just wrote an article. It'll come out uh, very soon. Uh, by the time the show comes out, it'll probably have already come out. But uh, the Wall Street Journal, for example, in their, uh, sur- like when they have a, uh, a shopping cart where you go in and subscribe, if you, yeah. you know, there's cart abandonment where people leave the cart, you know, where they say, okay, I'm not going to subscribe. I started to fill out the form and my name, address, et cetera, but I, you know what? I'm done. I'm not going to do it for whatever reason. They found that when they eliminated one field of information, one extra request, in other words, a little bit of friction, which they probably already had yeah. the answer. It's just like, hey, so give me your give me your snail mail address. If it's an online subscription, you don't need to know what their regular mailing address is, Right. When they eliminate that one line, each line they eliminated was one to three percent increase in subscribers. Wow! Think about that. Yeah. For, uh, so I wonder if there's ever going to be a report, or what do I need to do, Sam, for us to get together and write a report on this? <laughs> Eliminating <laughs> well, I, friction. Yeah, I know. We need to eliminate friction to us writing a report about eliminating friction. Um, <laughs> there you I, go. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you, you know, present on the the, the convenience. Uh, factors, yep, right? The and convenience sharing, revolution. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the convenience revolution. Sharing your research there, and uh, yeah, I was really struck by, to your point, because I had read the Everless Experience book from the uh, corporate executive board guys when it came out a few years ago, and I was impressed with, because I was, I will say, I was skeptical when I saw what you were talking about. To be honest, I was impressed with how pervasive you could make your recommendations for the end-to-end experience, not just the after-the-fact service experience, which is really where they had focused right. on customer effort score. So I think um, I was it was sort of the first time I had considered that as that end-to-end ability to think about convenience and friction reduction all the way through, rather than just in the service uh, phase of the experience. Um, so 
you opened my eyes at a point at, at that point, and I and then, so I, I think maybe now that's 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 our cue at Forrester to say, okay, we should be looking at this more broadly rather than just saying, okay, well, yep, sure, effort score is a good idea that uh, CEB um, you know owns and came up with and did a good job with in the, in the service phase. We can look at this more pervasively across the entire experience. So I, I, I like your framing of that. Well, we'll talk about that later because uh, it, I don't know if there's. I couldn't find another book written about the topic. So usually when I get ready to go write a book, I start looking at every book that's ever been written right. about it. And the, uh, <laughs> uh, other than that book, The Effortless Experience, which was only, what, as you put it, what I would call the after experience, what happens after you buy and there's a problem and how easy it is to get things resolved. I'm looking at, hey, from before they even walk in the door, where can you reduce friction? So anyway, that's yeah. another show. Yeah. I want to get into these five myths. So can you share the five myths about these customer experience incentives that you think are a bad idea to be paying employees? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the the background for the myths was uh, Maxie and I, who, who was my collaborator on this research, we sort of were asking ourselves, gosh, we have all these, like, you know, famous stories of, um, you know, I mean, the Wells Fargo one from a couple of years ago with the sales incentives being, you know, probably the most oh, yeah. memorable they're and, still and sort of, reeling from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, took down this great bank, right? I mean, I mean it was actually pretty well known for good customer experience uh, among banks, at least among the big banks. And it, you know, it just there's so many stories of how incentives backfire, uh, not just for customer experience, for a lot of other things, but but in particular for customer experience. And we said, why do people keep reaching for them? And what we really realized was, a lot of firms are subscribing to these five myths, and their belief in them as true rather than as, as myths, explains why they keep going for monetary CX incentives. So the first myth that we called out, actually, I'll just list the, quick, the five quickly, and then I can talk about any of them you'd like. But mm-hmm. we have the signal myth, which is incentives are showing we take, in, uh, we, we take customer experience seriously. We're putting money behind it, money where our mouth is. The control myth, which you sort of alluded to in, in the first half of the show, that oh, our lazy employees, we need to pay them to do these things because they don't otherwise wouldn't. Hmm. Uh, the effectiveness myth, well, we see incentives changing behaviors, so they work. Um, the motivation myth, which is money is a real motivator of people, and so we need to dangle the money carrot, so to speak, in front of their, in front of their faces to do this. And um, the last one is the retooling myth, which is, you know, if we don't get it right with, with this question and this incentive, that's okay. We can always refine it as we go. Um, and update it and make sure that we're going to get rid of the gaming that we're seeing and get rid of the, the you know, bad behaviors that we're seeing as a result of the incentive. Which Those is some of what, what we talked about in the early part of the show. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Signal, control, effectiveness, motivation, and retooling were the, the five myths we came up with. Well, you know, given that we, we don't have the full hour or so that we had when we were together, <laughs> right. if we, I said, okay, can you take about a minute or so on each of these? Is that possible? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I'll start with the, the signal myth, the, the first one, the idea that incentives, you know, putting money where our mouth is, that we care about customer experience, it shows that we're taking it seriously. And in actuality, when you put money against it, you're sort of saying, we take it as seriously as everything else that we offer a monetary incentive around. And that might be an improvement for some firms who hadn't valued it at all, but it certainly doesn't say that we value great customer experience and our loyal customers above all else. It says we evaluate as much as everything else we have a monetary incentive for. So, so basically, um, it's not, it becomes, I believe, customer service and experience is a philosophy 
not a department. And what you're saying yeah. is this is by giving the incentive, you're basically saying this is above and beyond what we usually do. So the usual exactly. is not the high-end service. That's, that's how I'm, see- I'm hearing this. That's a really good summary. Yes, absolutely. Perfect. Um, so I think, that's, I think that's exactly right. The second myth is the control myth, which is um, you know, that employees are lazy and need to be motivated with extra money to do the right things. And um, this myth is my favorite, and by favorite I mean my least favorite, because it, it, it makes me angry, to be honest. It, it, it gets the, the motivation part of the equation completely backwards, which is we created, we as companies created boring workplaces with too many rules and too many restrictions on employees where we didn't allow them to be human beings and to use their judgment. And then we blamed them for being bored and being like robots in those environments and said, okay, we better motivate you. So we got the motivation problem exactly backwards. Don't create an environment where people are so bored and and dread coming into work and you won't have this problem where you need to pay them to do every incremental thing. Um, so to me, the monetary incentives and the control myth is really just an extension of, oh, those employees, we need to tell them exactly what to do because we can't trust them. It's, and we need to pay them to do exactly what to do or they won't. Um, it's just furthering this myth that employees are the reason why, you know, it's their own fault for being unmotivated when, in fact, it's the workplace and the rules that we've created that makes people unmotivated at work. Mm. And you know what? We can get into maybe some uh, stories that I know of my past clients that I think are very guilty of this, and I could see where some of it was a problem. All right, the next one is effectiveness. Yeah. So hey, money. We we put money in front of them, and they change behaviors, and so that's it's working. That's great. And and even if the money, the monetary incentives change behaviors in a good way. Um, rather than a distorting way, like we talked about with the survey coaching uh, mm-hmm. in the first half of the show, um, even if it's good, like it's motivating the right behaviors, it only works short term and it only works, monetary incentives only work for very discrete, repeatable behaviors, right? It has to be something that is, you know, I'm going to, um, you, you know, make make the bed in the room in this amount of time. If you're, you know, giving me incentive to do it, you know, at, a, at, a, at speed, I will do it at speed. I won't do it well. And the second you take the monetary incentive away, I will stop doing it. And I think this is one of the things that's really interesting to me about this myth is um, monetary incentives only work for discrete tasks, which are almost never, by the way, the things that make a great customer experience. Right? That's not the sign of people showing empathy or um, you know, using their judgment to overrule a policy Right, like the, the uh, employee at your, your right. um, auto at dealership did. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more, um, it, you know, the great customer experiences are built off of employees, people, using judgment, connecting to other people, the customers, and making that loyal, lasting relationship. And you really can't get there with monetary incentives. They make you focus just on the very discrete task that you are being paid to do. Um, so they're effective in changing behaviors, but not in ways that um, are going to be work over the long term or in ways where you're going to be happy with the, the judgment and the empathy shown by those employees. Mm. And motivation. Yeah, motivation. So, um, you know, this is the, the idea that, hey, you know, people love to make more money. I mean, and this is true. They, we do like to make more money. But so let's dangle money in front of them to get them to do the right thing. And, and that will um, that will be the motivation they need. When the reality is we absolutely should pay people well, 
for for work done well. Um, but people aren't really motivated by money beyond an absence of it, right? If you stop paying me tomorrow, then that's all I would think about is money. But once I've got a salary and I'm, you know, my needs are taken care of, what really motivates me about work are other things, um, things that have been, you know, well articulated. You think about uh, Daniel Pink's book Drive, where right. he talked about. Um, mastery, autonomy, and purpose, right? Um, and then there's been other research. Uh, a, a researcher at Harvard Business School named Teresa Mamale uh, did a wonderful study where she showed that making progress on important work was really motivating. Getting getting things done that mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, connections creates to your fulfillment. Yep. Yeah, that brings fulfillment exactly. It, that this is what matters. And if all we're saying is you you're you know we're trying to say you only care about money money actually crowds out those other motivations at work. So if you're, if I think I'm only trying to delight a customer because I'm being paid to do so, then it no longer feels, fills me with a sense of purpose for doing so. And it no longer makes me feel like um, I'm doing it because I'm good at doing it, right? I've mastered the ability to deliver great service. It only, it, it, the money crowds out those other forms of motivation, which reduces employees' intrinsic motivation for delivering great customer experiences. Yep. In a moment, I know we have one more. I want you to do that yeah. one quick because then I want to come back and ask you a question about group motivation versus – or group uh, incentive uh, versus oh, yeah. individual incentive. It might be – it may be a totally different take. Let's talk about retooling real quickly, and then, I'm gonna, uh, and then I'll couch my sure. question to you. Yeah, great. Absolutely. So last one is retooling this and that, you know, we can fine tune the incentive system to stamp out gaming. Uh, well, uh, you underestimate the creativity of your employees when you have that mindset, which is they will find a way to game any incentive system, no matter what it is. And my favorite example of this uh, came from my uh, auto dealership that I work with, which is I noticed when I, I take my car there for service and I noticed on the um, after service survey that they sent me that there was a new question that had sprung up that said did any employee coach you on what score to give on the Ooh, survey yes and i said no they hadn't because i and now i noticed and this is the employee's creativity in responding to a new incentive in that way right that that question is a sort of a disincentive but they had not coached me on what score to give they had explained to me that the survey was coming and that if they liked the service and appreciated it that they hoped I would reflect that in the scores I gave on, um, not no, they didn't say the scores. They said they hoped I would reflect that in the feedback I gave on the survey. So they didn't talk about scores. They did still coach me to give them good ratings in the survey just without using the word scores. And I was I was just struck by how creative that was and how almost instant that response was. It was like you know the next time I took my car for service, there was a new question and the employees had already adapted to that new question. Wow. Unbelievable. So they, they will do that. All right. Th- yeah. Those are uh, great explanations of all the reasons why you might n- consider giving money away, that incentive for, hey, if you can get you know X percent of positive scores, there's got to be some way of recognition. And, and there's books that are written about recognition and books that are written about yeah. feedback from managers just sitting down and saying, man, you are doing an awesome job. Um, the other day, I wrote a note to my uh, one of the people here in their office, uh, I mentioned Stephanie earlier. She just stepped up one day. About a few weeks ago, we had our book launch. And I said, Steph, I know you live really far away. I need you to come in really, really early that day. So she had to get up. I didn't realize it. But by 3 in the morning, she was up. Oh, wow. Yeah, she lives over an hour away. 
She was in before 6 a.m. And I said, ah, just come in like a half an hour, an hour early. She came in over two hours early. And, wow. uh, you know, I love that. So I, I got a card that says you're amazing, seeing that I talk about being amazing all the time. And I just thanked her. And, um, you know, I think just saying thank you sometimes to your people is, is a nice incentive. All right, I want to ask you before, because we're getting yeah. close to the end, and I'm going to do the one thing question in a moment. But before that, what about group motivation? I have a, a friend of mine who's also a client client that became a great friend i love his culture and his company he even says shep if they're not doing a great job i i tell him and he says i don't care you know if they're there or not there as long as they get their job done but i know it takes at least eight to ten hours a day for them to get their job done and if they're not going to get on the bus and be on the team they're off the team so he's slow to hire quick to fire but one thing he does Mm -hmm. every year is he says guys if we hit this milestone not if you hit it individually. If we hit it as a company, I'm taking all of you to Mexico for four or five days. Yeah, yeah. That, so I love that example. And I think what you're starting to get into here is, well, you know, what, you know in, in the first question that you asked me and, and, we, and, and dismissed quickly yourself, and we often get asked is, well, wait, I'm not supposed to pay anybody? And it's like, no, of course, you absolutely should pay them, pay them well. And we're not supposed to reward anybody? No. As you said, thanking people, recognizing them for great achievements, for doing their job well, recognition and thanks go a long, long way. And what you just highlighted, I love that example, something like a trip, something that will be memorable, that is a group, the group gets it, a collective of people get it, that is a wonderful incentive. And it is fundamentally different from money um, because people will remember the trip and remember why they got it, that we achieved this goal together. And money can't do that um, because money is fungible, which means, you know, you, you get, I get $100 for this bonus. Well, I might remember in, in the moment that I'm getting it for good CX results, but I then put it into my general pot of money and probably use it Chep, to pay a bill, right? Or for, on, you know, in groceries. And whereas that trip that I take, that, that he takes his, his team on to Mexico, that money that was spent on me on that trip is remembered as the trip itself. Mm. It's a milestone, it's yep. a marker, and it's a memory now that I have. And that's a different motivator than money itself. All right. I hope everybody is listening very carefully to your wise, sage words. All right. The one thing question. Is there one thing you want to emphasize or something you're going, gosh, I just got to make one more point so that these people can yeah. hear it. What is that one thing? Yeah. Um, I am so encouraged by what is truly motivating to people at work that we do. We do like being productive. We like making progress on our important work. We love mastering new skills. We love connecting to the purpose of our firm. And so my one thing to leave the listeners with is trust employees. Treat them like adults. They want to do the right things for the right reasons, and you don't need to bribe them. (laughs) So... um, Trust that they will have the right motivation. If you create an environment where it feels like, you know, committing yourself to the work and doing the good work and doing the extra work for the right reasons is something that is appreciated and noticed and respected in your organization. If you create that kind of environment, you will get amazing stories from your employees on a regular basis. I love that word amazing, and that's exactly what this has been. Sam, thank you so much. This is amazing information, tons of practical takeaways here i mean i love it when we have a show like this where we tell stories but at the same time we are we are just dishing out the lessons right and left sam thank you for your wisdom (laughs) yeah my pleasure great to talk to you shep and and thanks for having me 
All right, everybody. Another episode of Amazing Business Radio. Sam Stern was awesome, and you can learn more about Sam. Sam, where can they learn more about you and maybe pick up some of these reports? Because I know Forrester makes them available. There is usually a charge for some of them, but they are robust, uh, content-laden reports that will give you incredible insights to what you need to do to run your business. Yeah, and... um Yep, we do. Uh, we charge a subscription for our website, but I also have a public-facing blog um, with shorter posts that is available to anyone. And uh, you mentioned it at the top of the show, but uh, the weekly uh, podcast, CXCast, where it's myself and my colleague Jenny Wise as hosts, is a great way to sort of access um, for free uh, a lot of uh, Forrester ideas and content around customer experience. All right, so CXCast, just, can they find it at CXCast.com or...? Yeah, if you go, if you, any way that people access podcasts, if they just uh, search on CXCast or search on Forrester, it will come up, and uh, you can get it that way. And if you uh, put CXCast into Google, I believe it's the first hit, so you'll you'll find it uh, in any of the normal search ways that people find stuff nowadays. Perfect. Thank you, Sam Stern, and thank you, everybody, for listening. This is Shep Pike, and until next week, reminding you to always be amazing. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.